Hello and welcome to Cross the Bridge with the Artificial Hipsters. My name is Kieran Casey. And I'm Jim Corbett. And today we're going to have a discussion around a fairly complex area, which is whether or not there is a satisfactory level, a level of quality public discourse particularly when we come to evaluate or assess important issues and the sense that really what we have are two entrenched positions on occasions and quite a lot of polarization and people not really listening to each other. And Jim, maybe just to frame this a little bit, uh, we spoke recently about Irish neutrality mm -hmm. and I can genuinely say in going into that conversation I didn't really have a fixed position. I didn't have something that I felt convicted in terms of this is my belief on in terms of Irish neutrality. And the conversation itself brought me to a position at the end where I felt that at least for now, although I went in with an open mind, at least for now, I believe that we shouldn't move away from our current Ireland's current status in terms of its, its neutrality. Now, not to go down that rabbit hole of neutrality, I suppose the point I'm making is that the exercise of having that conversation with you, where we explore the topic calmly, respectfully, and yes, factually, but also expressing our opinions, brought me to a position where I can now say with some certainty what my position is on neutrality. Now, again, I could, I'm open to be swayed. And that yes, when we look at... That. I'm sure you're going to keep working on that. But <laughs> when we look at some of the big topics in the world today, and that can be across what we sometimes refer to as, as social issues um, or, or bigger issues like climate change, um, there doesn't seem to be the quality of discourse that allows us to participate or to listen to or to observe where we can have a, again, calm, respectful discussion so that we can make up our minds in terms of where, what our position is, what our true position. And instead, we sometimes, because we want to be part of a particular one side or the other, that we, and, you know, human beings want to belong. And um, so we might adopt a position that's not true to our core beliefs or values because we've never really evaluated it against our core beliefs and values. And it's hard to do that nowadays. It's it's incredibly hard to do it. Mm. I mean, I think um, I find it astonishing that uh, there are subjects I can discuss, or sorry, attempt to discuss, or opinions I can attempt to put over to people, um, which can instantly become a topic of major angst and uh, disagreement. Uh, oh God, no! Yeah, and and within seconds mm. you get into oh, you know, you're just an extreme right, extreme left. The whole quality—I'm not often called extreme left, I must say—but anyway, the whole quality of the of of debate. It's not just public debate; it's debate anywhere. Because mm. I think we get into the way in which the public of all ages uh, sometimes gets um i won't say brainwashed but they get greatly influenced 
um, one way or the other. And I think there's a there's always a trend these days. It's very trendy to think this. It's very trendy to think that. Mm. And I don't I don't care about that. I mean, in itself, that's fine. If 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 younger people are wanting to discuss or have a view of a load of things, which, you know, when I was their age, I was only worried about whether Jimmy Greaves was going to score next Saturday. Mm. Um, uh, and they're talking about it, and that's good. But what they're not, is they're not resilient. So if you come, because they don't read widely, because their, their uh, syllabus or syllabi, I think it should be, at um, school and, and at some universities at least, is very constrained and uh, and they're not enabled to think in any other way they start to think in terms and it's not just young people a lot of people do this they start to think in terms of where their position is self-evidently true and self-evidently good and that anybody who criticizes must not be tolerated now, there in you see, Jim, can you say, let's just kind of, can you see that if you point out, as you have pointed out, or express the view as you have, that young people are not well read and that the syllabi, that's the right word, isn't sufficiently detailed, so that their views are, are too narrow. That if you if that's your going in position, that you're going to get a defensive response from 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 young people. So straight away, we've got into some level of polarization. Well, yes, that's true. You do the, the default for a lot of people is is that polarization argument. Mm. I mean, for example, if uh, there's a, there's a particular issue at the moment which seems it's absolutely asinine, but it's adopted by quote unquote the gutter press and a lot of the more less reprehensible politicians, which is all of them. Um, and they basically are focused on this question of can you say what a woman is? Yeah. Right. Keeps coming back to that. Can Keir Starmer tell us what he thinks a woman is? Mm. And it comes up in public debate all over the place. Now, I can tell you exactly in words of one syllable what I think a woman is. It's mm. a perfectly straightforward biological description. Mm. If I say that in certain areas, I would be trounced in the in, in the way that J.K. Rowling is trounced, mm. um, and be banned from things, and this you know it'd be erased and be, be you know be censored out of existence. People don't use the proper words for these things. Mm. They are intolerance and censorship, and I think there's lots of things you could say about public debate and i don't want to go down the rabbit hole of sexual policies but that's just an, one example in a plethora of you know the same thing happens in climate change discussions and so 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 forth you get to a point where it's impossible to state a decision now that is the antithesis of discussion it's the sort of thing that george orwell wrote about so very well mm. in the 30s and 40s mm. um it is the absolute antithesis of uh, of learning and discussion and debate. And I always remember one of my teachers, who you wouldn't expect to be um, a, a very uh, liberal sort of person, mainly because he wasn't. But he was an old, an ex-colonel in the army. He'd been went ashore on D Day, 
And he was talking to us in one of our sixth form classes about what made genuine learning. Mm. And his view was that genuine learning only comes about through the widest possible reading of everything. Yeah. Fiction, Shakespeare, science, philosophy, psychology, politics, whatever it is, and from whatever stance, you must read and discuss as widely as possible. There's another thing when we were talking about heroes last week and I was on going on about Nye Bevan. That was one of the things he did. And yeah. I fear that we're, we're losing that because so many books. Now, if I said to uh, a modern economist, uh, you know, do you study Adam Smith anymore? And I bang on about Adam Smith all the time. But they would, uh, that would be a sort of, oh, I don't know about that. You know, he's a bit passe mm. now. You know, he's not, not very, not very nice. Mm. He, well, I don't know if he's nice or not, but his writings are very clear. That's certainly true. So I do worry about about that and the way public debate is debased. But in so, my so, so look, one of the things I think that, uh, and it's something again I've observed in some of the podcasts is, uh, you know, two people in a room discussing an issue and agreeing completely with each other, and therefore just throwing stones at those that don't agree with them. So let's be a bit challenging with each other All here. Right. And and just to explore a little bit, um, agree with you completely. I think you know, learning is about opening our minds, reading, you know, discovering other people's opinions and viewpoints, and that it's not healthy for anybody to shut down the opinion of somebody else. And and you know, I suppose that's fundamentally um, the. What underpins diversity is diverse views and diverse opinions. And, yes, and so absolutely. we should all listen to each other. So when we feel that, when we feel that somebody is not listening to our point of view, two parts of it. Um, one is the, the more difficult question, which we'll come back to, is why Why do we think that is? But the first part of this is, is, there, is that just an inability um, to to communicate um, in, in a calm way because there is such passion behind their belief and such, you know, maybe anger at not being understood that they it comes across and it's expressed in a way that we see it. We see that passion. We see that anger. Um, but that, you know, in a sense, all that's missing here is that ability to communicate. But actually, directionally, what they're trying to say and, and the passion is is to be acknowledged and sometimes respected. Um, but the ability to communicate clearly uh, is is fundamentally what's missing. So for those that we we may disagree with, who we feel so, sometimes are not listening to us, uh, is there a way that we could engage with them that allows them to maybe be calmer in their communication? Am I being too generous here in in, in exploring this? No, I don't think you're being generous. I mean, I think I think very often uh, people have very very strongly held and you know close to the heart type views that they that they don't want to have challenged. And you know, sometimes it's not comfortable this challenging arc. I mean, you can you can end up in a place as I have on many occasions. 
we were thinking, oh, bloody hell, you know, this, is, this isn't worth a candle. This is creating, this discussion is getting so difficult. Um, and I don't mean by that that I was running out of arguments, but that it was it was obviously creating such passion yeah. that it might be an idea if we sort of close this off a bit or, or shade For the sake off. of human relationships. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to Jimmy Greaves. But yeah. the, the, I think that's that's true. I mean, the way... I don't know, is it? I keep going on about how it was when I was a kid, and I'm very conscious of the fact that I could just be an old fogey and I'm just uh, and, and, and that's highly likely to be the case I accept um but what I can't get over is the fact that in my household and I suspect in yours we were encouraged to discuss things all the time mm. even if it was even if we wanted to say we didn't agree with something mm. now in my household you could say you didn't agree you'd bloody soon find out why you should agree mm. but um and I don't mean that in any sort of forceful way it was people would argue with you till the cows came out logic um into into the middle of the night if necessary um and my dad was especially good at that um but i think so maybe i'm coming at it from a slightly different point of view because mine was a very very political household and Mm. most people don't come from that sort of political household most people don't think about these things as being necessarily of importance they believe one of their genuine political beliefs is that they're all the same and you can't trust any of them mm. which is, i must say a belief i've started to turn towards much more in my old age than i used to i used to be an idealist that didn't last mm. long but uh, no i think um i think you can always the, the trick is i think not to yourself become irate or exercised mm. always be calm always mm. listen it's like I wouldn't suggest it's like when you talk to a psychiatrist because I've never talked to a psychiatrist. Well, I have talked to, I've talked to loads of psychiatrists in my life, but always... Not professionally. On, on, on a colleague basis. Um, but if you do have... Um, if you notice when they're talking to patients or, or, or clients, whatever you want to call them, um, they, do, they don't lose their temper. Even no. when people get irate with, with them personally, they're very, very equable because that's one of the tools of the job that's how they slowly bring people out and i think if you can do that with your personal behavior and i can't honestly say that i always do it although i was famous for having a stony face at work and i wouldn't react Mm. to anything someone said to me once the trouble with you is you're impossible to insult Mm. um which was true actually it's still true uh i couldn't care less but Mm. um i think it's important that you do maintain a, a, a moderate uh, demeanor I, I agree but i suppose we're 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 we're, we're acknowledging that, that that is not always the case when people are putting forward their positions mm. so do we you know we all find it hard to separate the messenger from the message yes so if somebody is shouting us down if somebody is not listening to what we're saying our instinct is is maybe to, you know, view their message in somewhat jaundiced way, some in a way that we, you know, we're we're not going to take it on board and evaluate it the way we would if it was presented to us in a calm way. And, and I suppose the, the point I'm coming to is is that we're talking about this polarization or lack of of public discourse, healthy, respectful public discourse around issues. Mm-hmm. And there tends to be, you know, a, a focus on 
Well, there are some individuals that just don't listen and that can't, you know, understand our point of view. And the first place to start with, I think, in all of these things is with ourselves. Do we do everything that we can to really try and understand what it is they're saying? And and even when it's in, in issues that are, you know, in our DNA, we feel we understand what a woman is and we don't feel that that question needs to be explored. So we don't go any further than what we believe. And that causes frustration in people who want to explore that a little bit further. So, you know, is it all just one side that 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 creates this polarization and creates this bad atmosphere? No, of course. Or is it? Yeah. So, so, um, you know, the point you're making is it's important for us. As I say, us, I mean, for everybody. Yeah. To hold a calm, you know, respectful position. Well, I on, think on when topics. it comes down, I think what it often comes down to. Is when people are ex- expounding upon a particular topic with enormous passion mm. and even, you know, violent language and whatever. I think it's they're not actually seeking to beat you with logic and with argument, because if they were, they'd be much more measured about it. Mm. I think it's about beating you. Um, and I'm certainly very guilty of this. Uh, I've noticed it. I've, I've been pulled up on it uh, on a number of occasions, not least by you once, I think. Um, when it, it's, to me, a debate is something to be won. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. taken me, I don't. I wouldn't say I've, 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 I've overcome that view yeah. at all, but uh, I'm conscious of it, that it's not the way to conduct a discussion. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people... In the modern day, and I think this is, again, coming back to social media, which I think is one of the problems, because that's a mechanism of communication. Mm. But it's a mechanism which is very constrained. You've only got so many characters or, you know, it's generally just a few seconds of film or whatever it is. Mm. And it's all very short, very short, very short. So you don't get time to develop um, a long developed position about a particular thing it's interesting what you say and it hadn't really occurred to me but i do think um you're onto something here this competitiveness about our discussions this kind of idea that where we hold different views that there's a sense of, I want to win. I want mm. to, even if I don't convince you, I want to outlogic you and demonstrate that my view is, my opinion is, is holds more water than, than yours does. Um, mm. that's, that's probably something that, you know, I definitely would see in myself on, on occasion. I try not to, um, but I think that is something that we probably all need to be mindful of. And and maybe that is something that doesn't help. And I suppose everybody feels a little sense of that. That's our ego, isn't it? That that's of, of course it is. I, I wonder to some extent as well whether is there something there in the in our genes, certainly in democratic countries, mm. where that sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, 
the nature of the government system, if you look at parliaments all over the place, is that they are confrontational. Yeah. Um, mm. And people set out, everything is is class. Mm. The decisions are made on the basis of a vote. Mm. And if you can get more people to your side than uh, and win the yeah. vote, that's, that's a real thing mm. because that can change the law or it can make things happen. And I wonder if that's sort of built into us almost. Yeah, debating societies, yeah. you know, the idea that someone's going to win. At, at... Political parties. Political parties yeah, yeah, work absolutely. on the basis of constant yeah. discussion and debate. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting area. Um so there there could be something that we are not recognizing in ourselves or within the culture that we live that has this competitive edge to it that it's not just about persuasive argument, it's about winning. And and therefore we tend not to um you know, it, 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 like it, it is very difficult to listen. Empathetic listening is really, really hard because, yeah. oh no, you know, I, I, you see, you know, I did some training in mediation, and that's one of the big challenges is actually listening to somebody without, you know, thinking about what it is I'm going to say next, and and but really listening, cognitively evaluating what they're saying, and emotionally evaluating what they're saying. And then coming back with with a response, but to even listen to somebody in a way of desperately wanting to understand what it is they're saying is hard, and and maybe we lack that. There's, there's insufficient empathetic listening when it comes into discussion, when it comes into debate. And the other thing I think that that is there is um, some form of again, you know, maybe subconscious prejudice or or bias where I look at you and you're, you know, a 70-year-old Englishman and so therefore... Nearly, nearly. Nearly 70 uh, Englishman. And, and then so when you start to say something, I, I've already got some prejudices in my yeah, yeah, yeah. about what it is you're going to say. And therefore, if you go anywhere close to line with my prejudice, I'm going to mm. jump on that issue and go, ah, I knew that's what you would say. Yeah. Um, and do we do the... You know, do, do people of our generation do the same when we see, you know, someone in their 20s and, and the college student? And do we have those, you know, prejudices in what they're going to say? So when they again line up with our prejudices, it, there's a, another aha moment. And, and therefore we, I won't say we dismiss, but we we have a bias in terms of our interpretation of, of the things they say. I think there's an element of that. Mm. But I, I mean, I must say, when I hear young people, especially young people, not so much old people because they should know better, but when I hear young young people, as of course we have all done, stating absolute principles, they've got the world the world sussed out completely. They're going to tell us right from wrong. Um, as the older generation, we're always to blame for everything, and so on and so forth. And they go on like that, but. If you say something to them which should give them some pause for thought, mm. if they just cut across that and say, oh, no, you're just saying, I'm not, I'm not listening to that rubbish, that disappoints me mm. and it saddens me that they're not prepared to stand up because that's what I'm, I'm – by challenging them, I'm asking them to stand up for what they believe and mm. tell me, and maybe you'll convince me the other way. Maybe mm. you won't, but maybe you will. And I think these days, I think it's 
we have polarized society so much in lots of different ways in lots of different places but i i i in my core being i think you have to have tolerance you have to have understanding and you have to maximize your own learning as mm. far as you can even if you only read the paper every day yeah, yeah. um and and that's really important and and I, I don't think people do that so much anymore mm. I might read the paper but so let's 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 go into why that is then I mean I think we've already explored it there is that competitive edge um and that's probably a cultural piece um there's probably a frustration on behalf of people who find it hard to articulate their views and are so passionate about it that sometimes uh, it comes across in in a way that's angry it's it's hard to separate the messenger and the tone of the messenger from the message. Um, so I agree with you as well. I mean, I, d I definitely think if you were to talk to me when I was in my early twenties, when you were in your early twenties, we I did talk to you when you were in your early. 20s. You did. <laughs> well, you probably remember I had some hard-held <laughs> principles to you. Oh, I do indeed. Yeah, that, I mean, you were I... an unreconstructed Fenian in those days. <laughs> that was it was hard to shift, and I was quite stubborn and strong in 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 holding those views and and absolutely um so uh, you know I, I think that the, it's it's reasonable to hold those positions um and yeah life changes yeah, and life and experiences and and maybe more ex life experiences and you know I don't know, having kids and and yeah you think about things you, you you're gonna have different perspectives yes, but um I don't remember at the time. I don't remember, you know, if we go back to me in my 20s, is kind of mid-80s. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if there was, you know, conversations that got heated, it was about Margaret Thatcher and what yeah. she was doing to the country or the minor strike or, or they were kind of like, um, uh, at least I understood what the other side were trying to say and the other side understood what I was trying to say and we disagreed. Yes. Uh, I find now that there isn't even agreement on what we disagree on. There isn't even, <laughs> a, uh, you know, it's it's so hard to try and say, if you were to referee this and say, okay, so you're saying this and you're saying that, and I can see the logic in both. Now, can you just see if you can explore that with each other? Which you could do, you know, in I, I felt anyway, in, in the main, in the 80s, mm. you could. Um, why is it that we have in the last whatever period, 10 years or so, is it longer, maybe longer, um, that we've had this increase in polarization of positions, entrenchment, and uh, a lack of quality, respectful political discourse between people that disagree? Yeah, it's about 10 years. It's about 10 years since it became obvious. I think there were a lot of factors in society here, here in Ireland and in the UK and in America, probably got to America first, lots of factors which slowly started to change the public perception of how things would work or did work. Um, and there's another, some of these, I think, are, are not necessarily recognised. I mean, you can easily point at things like, um, oh, everybody says, you know, standards of school teaching have deteriorated. I'm not sure mm -hmm. that's true. I think certainly the standards of assessing um, ch 
children at school, I think, measure things other than that which we need to know about them. When I say we, I mean, I mean society wants to see mm. uh, certain levels of expertise and so on. I don't think it does that so much. It might do other things extremely well. So there's no argument there about how education should be. But it's certainly changed since we were at school Yeah, um, enormously and mostly for the better. Not invariably, but mostly. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is the massive expansion of the numbers of kids going to university. And I'm going to upset a lot of people now. But they're going to university without the basic intellectual tools to enable them to do a university degree properly. And that's had two effects. One is it's got quite a lot of dropouts. Mm. from that thing and they that gives a lot of negativity to what they then want to go on and do and gives them uh you know maybe reduces their self-esteem my wife would be delighted me using that word um two words and i think but it's also vastly expanded the number of places required mm. so the universities have been recruiting like bilio to get um people to teach these courses so I think it's probably fair to say that in some universities, the standards of teaching are not what they should be. Right. Uh, I think that's, it's probably true in schools as well, but for different reasons. Um, and I think the one of the things which is of particular importance is the nature of the degrees that get offered mm. are also, I think, missing the point. In lots of areas. So the old traditionals, you know, the PPE and history and languages and economics and science subjects and so on, they, they're they still there. They're not getting as many people going to do them. Uh, and they are more demanding as subjects to study um, to, say, you know, adventure tourism mm. uh, or... Yeah, this this is all. I don't want to delve into the the woke, the deep dark woke pool of what people think goes on at universities. But uh, certainly, a number of the courses are quite deliberately aimed to attract students who may not have at that point the skills they require to do a more classic uh, mm. university degree. Is that over the gym? I hear that argument so um, that there's a lot of these made up degrees and but is it overstated? And I'm just talking about my experience. Um, you know, if I've three that have come out of college, one that's in third year of college, mm. all would have done what I would describe as you described, you know, the, the traditional yeah. degrees, as did all their, all their friends and, and all, as did, you know, a lot of people. In fact, I'd struggle to really find somebody that's doing something that I would find as as quirky uh, as, again, I'm not saying that my, you know, that my the, the people that I know is any great measure of what's happening, but I just I wonder whether that's either a US thing or whether it's just been slightly overstated, um, the number of these non-traditional degree courses that have cropped up. I do agree, and I think it's a particularly Irish thing, I do agree that you know, the assumption, it's almost an assumption that when you finish your leaving set that you're going to third level. I think that that's bonkers. I, and I, I do think that so I, 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 I love saying that the apprentices are back on, on, 
on the increase as well. And I think that's really important. But Well, I think that's an important point, actually, because what we've done, uh, uh, by the way, your central first question of whether or not it's been overstated, um, in Ireland, yes, it is overstated because Ireland hasn't gone in for that sort of approach so much, although there are some signs that they're starting to change. Um, UK, it's definitely true. America, probably not, because it's so bloody expensive to go to university in America. You don't want to waste your time doing something instead of going to work if you can help it. Uh, Whereas in England, the expansion was deliberately done in order to avoid people going onto the unemployment register. Right. You see, if you can take another million kids into university to do whatever it is they're doing, Mm. um, they're not on the employment register. Yeah. Unemployment register. So that was a that was a quite um, deliberate. Uh, and probably quite hypocritical mm. approach, which was taken both by Margaret Thatcher and by Tony Blair. Mm. Uh, they both did the same thing. And I think that's that's so in England, I think it's real. But uh, the central point is I think we've got a lot of kids doing the wrong bloody stuff. Mm. You know, don't go and do Mickey Mouse. Go and do uh, IT development. Mm. Or practical, hands-on, how do you make a computer, how do you fix a computer, mm. how do you develop a new program. Now, of course, the universities all do that in their, at the highfalutin level, but we're always going to need people who can mend computers. We're all gonna, always going to need people who can build houses mm. uh, and, and so on and so on. So those things will change over time, mm. but we need to be encouraging people not to look upon uh those sorts of uh, vocational courses as second rate and bad, quite the reverse. Absolutely. You know, yeah. If you if you go and get yourself, a, even today, I know there's a lot of jokes about it, but if you can get yourself a job as uh, qualified as a plumber, mm. you will earn the same amount as a doctor. You might have to work a bit harder, mm. but you will earn serious money. Yeah. And the other thing I think about that is you need to develop in people, and this is something the education system doesn't do, in my view, either here or in uh, the UK, um, you need to develop people with that cavaliering spirit of enterprise mm. to want to go and do something, to change the world, to run their own organisation. And if you look at some of the, the richest and most successful businessmen in uh, in, in the country, you will find that they may not always have started, you know, in, in the slums. Uh, some of them did. Alan Sugar did, for example. Um, and he worked his way up to be a billionaire. And there's lots of people who do that. And there's lots of people who do it on a much smaller basis mm. who manage to run a very successful sort of shop or, or little china shops or mm. a, re- a repair garage or a little building company and all those sorts of things. Really, we need to really encourage them in, to look for enterprise. So, so just, just sorry, I agree with all that, and I think that's we're, we're moving into the realm of maybe a discussion on education, yeah, again, bringing it yeah. back to why we have this divisive, you know, set public conversations, and 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 that we have this kind of entrenched views. How does that education system? How do you use that as a way of explaining why there is a generation that's coming through that that? Oh. We, I think there's a generation coming through who are encouraged to accept uh, certain things as being given by the processes of coursework or whatever, which is the nearest thing to sponsored uh, cheating you'll ever find. 
Um, and, and many schools have been caught out actually doing the coursework for, for children and things like that in England. That's the bit that started to develop in Ireland, and you should mm. look upon it with a very jaundiced eye, in my view, or we should. Mm. Um, so I think they're, they're not taught the rigour of uh, and the discipline that you need to make a case, write an essay, uh, you know, argue what you want to happen, identify a problem, mm. find a way of solving a problem and problem solving. They don't do any of that, right. uh, which we used to pick up automatically when we did English and maths and a bit of science and, right. and history and so on. We used to pick up these little nuggets here and there, and sometimes yeah, they'd yeah. spark us off and sometimes they wouldn't. The art of critical so, thinking. And, and exactly, but I think that, that whole... Uh, it's it's critical thinking. I think, yeah, that's yeah. that's what. So, so let's say that that's something that um, maybe we took for granted, and uh, in 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 recent generations, that that's not as strong as it used to be. One other area that I think is well, there's two areas that come to mind. One is politics and the other is is the media mm. so we always knew that negative news got more eyeballs and 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 was more strangely attractive to yes uh, or at least the, the newsmakers think it is the people who report the news think that that's what we want to see they might well, be right i i think there, i think there is some truth to it because I, I do think that you know if we look back over um our own upbringing and, and the big moments that kind of caught everybody's attention, the big moments that became uh, the most talked about topics, not all were negative, but a lot were. And so, but that was just an accident of the news cycle that, that the negative news, you know, mm. attracted more readers or listeners or viewers. Um, I think the media companies now know this, they're in the battle for audience. And I think we know that some of the algorithms are are deliberately programmed to extensiate and, and to propagate, you know, negativity than than yeah, yeah. positivity because we know that it again attracts more audience. So instead of something that was just, you know, when it happened, it happened and it had the consequence of maybe attracting more audience, where now there's a manipulation that we don't really we're not really interested in two people sitting in a room agreeing with each other um, or, you know, having that healthy conversation. We want angry, you know, I would call it even debate. We want just mm. people angrily shouting at each other and that that gets more eyeballs and that gets more attention. So is, it, yeah. is, is that something that, that... Well, I think it is. I mean, I think it's... Um, <clears throat> you remember back to, to when we were kids, some of the most... Uh, watched programs were actually current affairs programs and, uh, and and interviewers. I mean, the BBC had a range of spiky interviewers like Robin Day and people like that who were no fool, and they would take ministers to task mm. and it, entirely properly because it's their bloody job to take ministers to task. That's the whole point. We want to see the minister squirming because he can't answer the question. Yeah, uh, and that's an important thing to see. That's the operation of democracy. It's not mm. just about voting. So I think that's uh, important. And we don't have that now. Well, the, well to the, be fair. We don't have fair. so much. Have it on the yeah. radio still. Have it on yeah. the radio. But we don't I, get it on the television as much. 
Well, even if we did, it's probably not as attractive as some of the other alternatives. No, no, I think that's true. Yeah. Are, yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Yeah. But there's a chicken or the egg argument there to some extent as well. Yeah, true. But I think I think coming back to, to, to what you were saying about the press, one of the cleverest men, I think, in the history of the world is Rupert Murdoch. Now, Rupert Murdoch, when he bought the sun, he bought it from the Reynolds, well, he bought it from uh, Robert Maxwell, actually. Mm. And Maxwell had uh, bought up the old um, Daily Herald, which was always a left-wing newspaper, which my dad used to read, but mm. always struggled to make any money, as did the Morning Chronicle, which was another one. Um, the Morning Chronicle went bust completely. Yeah, there, there go. But when um, the Daily Herald was going down the Swanee in the uh, mid-60s, uh, Maxwell took it over for the Pergamon Press, thinking he, he could make something of this. And he, he, he changed its name into The Sun. He didn't really, uh, it didn't improve it at all. He did, he did a bit for a little while. It was a little bit more populist than the Daily Herald and so on. And then Murdoch, who was looking to buy a national newspaper, couldn't pick up any of the ones he wanted. I think the one he probably wanted most was the Daily Express, but that was then the, uh, the largest seller in England. So he couldn't get that. So he bought The Sun. Mm-hmm with all sorts of promises that he was going to keep it true to its origins and so on. Oh, absolute rubbish. He did nothing of the sort and never did, never intended to. But he led the sort of avalanche of declining taste mm. uh, in newspapers uh, so that after a while, you know, you can, I mean, now if you pick up the sun and the Daily Mirror is much the same, which had to follow them in the in the in the ratings war, and they're both now shadows of their former selves. I mean, a lot of news, most newspapers are, are in terrible trouble in terms of hard copy circulation. But the Sun got to a point in the say the um, the eighties and the nineties um, when, apart from the front page. Uh, Puff uh, Margaret Thatcher, which was always there, um, you'd, you'd find that the, you'd be hard put to it to find news. Mm. And I came across this personally when there was, um, during the bad old days when the RA was putting around bombs in London, there was one went off in a barracks near to the hospital where mm. I uh, worked. So we, yeah. And we picked up the, um, well, it was two hospitals ourselves in Edgeware. But we picked up at Barnet the uh, a number of the casualties. Mm. Intel, so we had major accident procedure in effect, in effect. First time we ever had to use it. Actually. I had to use it a couple of times since. Um, and we went into uh, went into action. Got these fellas in. Uh, one of them died, and the others. I think there was a couple died actually, but one of them died in the hospital. I think. And there was about we had about half a dozen soldiers in the ward. And two things happened here. One was a minister whose name I won't give. I think he might be dead now, but he's not in power anymore anyway. Um, came in because he was a local MP, and he came in to visit the uh, the soldiers who were now recovering in the wards, um, causing great havoc amongst the nurses as well. And he, we, we were walking up the corridor towards the ward, and he said to me, oh, by the way, I'm not seeing anything too disgusting, am I? And I thought, well, you, you, is that important now? 
I mean, he wasn't, of course. We don't know if people lying about with limbs hanging off or anything like that. But mm. um, anyway, so I said, no, no, Minister, of course not, you know, and we took him in. And he sort of looked in, walked up the ward, hello, how are you, hello, how are you, never stopped, never inquired after anybody, never want to know what was happening, never want to know about, you know, and, and how did, did your family know and all that stuff that they do. Didn't do any of that, walked straight out again. And one of them, as he was leaving, said, well, I won't repeat exactly what he said because it was it was pretty unprintable, but it was a real mouthful. That was he went out. Um, so that was one. one, of the, one of the soldiers shouted at him. Was yeah, it? yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so that was, and I thought that was no way for a bloody minister to behave. I mean, mm-hmm. he he should be, and of course he would he wouldn't have the press there either when when he was walking mm-hmm. around. That bit I can understand because they get very disruptive. But we did have to have the press on site, so I had a I had to have um several uh, press conferences during the few days before the lads were either moved on or discharged. Um, and it's just this big, this big room, the ballroom we had, and we get them all in. It was hundreds of them from all over the world. I was astonished, actually, on the first day how many there were. Mm. And, of course, they all wanted specific clinical details, which you could never give them, but they always try to chance their arms, see if they can get old or anything. And all this discussion went on. Everybody's asking questions, people from Reuters and the New York Times and Guardian Observer, all of them, all the television stations were there. It was all it was my first appearance on television, actually. But anyway, um, not anybody was looking at me. And right at the end, I said... Are there any more questions? And one little fellow at the front. Now, if you'd wanted to find someone who was an archetype, it was him. Mm. He was little, fat, sweaty, um, unshaven, horrible little sod. don't know who he was, but I knew who he worked for. And he said to me, oh, yeah, I want something. He said, um, uh, apparently there'd been a dance going on at the barracks that night, which they had. That's how they'd infiltrated. So I said, yeah. So I understand. So he said, uh, was there any evidence of sexual activity uh, for any of the soldiers you've got in the hospital? And I said, before I answer that question, can you tell me what newspaper you're from? And he said, the sun. <laughs> and the whole room exploded in laughter. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't have to, I didn't answer the bloody question. I didn't know, didn't care, wouldn't have told him anyway. Mm. But, um, yeah. That was the end of that, and it went out. And I thought, in all this fucking carnage, mm. you, know, this, you know, I mean, I opened the doors to an ambulance centre. Blood ran out down the steps all, all over me, mm. and all over my feet and legs. You know, I mean, that's what it was like. Um, did, 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 did it did it highlight though? He didn't care. He, well, not only did he not care, like is is there also in some perverse way? Is there some? Does it say something about human beings that the sun was the biggest selling newspaper probably at the time and that this was the angle that their journalist was going to take at a press conference like that so that he was feeding, there was an appetite there, you know, from the public. Yeah, I mean, but they were looking for a headline that said bonking soldiers called in yeah, 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 yeah. bomb or whatever, you know. Well, bring it back to bring it back to in the last 10 no, years. No, sorry, but the point yeah, I was yeah. saying there was, was that it was Rupert Murdoch who was responsible for that decline in standards. The standards yeah. hadn't been that high, but you could always say, you know, people would talk with the toffee nose about the Times being the newspaper of record or something. No, mm. it's not anymore, but it's better. The Guardian, the Times, the Telegraph, okay, they're still. Notif- recognizably proper newspapers. Hmm. 
the others. Yeah. Rabbit food. So so we we see a decline in educational standards and the ability to think critically. We see a media that has declined in in reporting standards and moving more towards a tabloid headline, you know, that is headline-driven soundbite that steers us away from the core of what actually happens to some kind of something that probably in in the darkness of all human beings, there is some interest. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And and then we have the explosion of, of, of social media, which feeds maybe that same dark place in in human souls where it is about the negativity it is about you know the um the less attractive sides of of what happens in the world or you know how to evaluate a situation and so we get this argumentative you know again all sound bites aren't they i mean i mm. they, they, i mean again you talk about Murdoch being clever, and and I, I do find it difficult to attribute any kind of a compliment to that man. But, <laughs> but um, the 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 algorithms—we don't have to be good to be clever. No, that's true. That's true. Um, but the algorithms that are used in the technology platforms—the fact, the fact that there's a very good book called—I um, can't remember who wrote it—but um, it's called, I think it's called Addicted. Um, and um, it's about how they designed these user interfaces, how they, you know, knew how many seconds people were prepared to listen to videos, but how we became addicted to uh, social media platforms. And um, and that there's two kinds of drivers. We have an external motivation and an internal motivation. So if I see something by way of an advertising or a prompt, and I click, that's a kind of an external driver. Mm. But when you get human beings out of internal motivation, so the first thing they do in the morning is to go onto their Facebook or Twitter. Now you have them. Now they're addicted. And again, I don't think that happened by accident. But if we bring media and this explosion of social media back to how does it, how does it explain or how do we connect that to this lack of quality public discourse. Well, I was thinking, just thinking that as you were as you were mm. talking, because you're quite right that if people didn't want that type of reporting, they wouldn't buy the, the papers or the magazines or go on the, the online for whatever it is, uh, and they do. In life, mm. they don't buy the they don't buy the uh, newspapers so much. But you know, the, the Telegraph, for example, still has a, a flourishing online presence, mm. which is very successful. I understand. But I think what happened was, as Murdoch changed the face of of the press in Britain, um, politicians, civil servants, the whole panoply of government and corporate life and so on, realised that they could, through those, what I can only call lax standards, which had now started to permeate at least part of the press empire, they found how to manage the news. Yeah. So you can't talk about newspapers without talking about people like Alistair Campbell mm. and who I've met several times and um, 
people like that. Uh, and other people around him and like him uh, in all the government departments and so on. Basically, what they do is they manage, try to manage the news. That's their job. Mm. They try to manage the news to the benefit of their political masters or their department or whatever it is. And they will uh, deliberately change the nature of a discussion. They will try and leak news on a bad news day, things like that. But they'll also, some of them, I'm not ascribing this directly to Mr. Campbell, but um, it's not unknown for them to make stuff up, to tell mm. lies, outright lies, Uh at press conferences and in press releases and uh, things of that nature. And also they are absolutely uh, complicit in this headline culture. Mm. I mean, if you, I'm sure you have seen them, but when um, the prime minister or minister or something is making a big speech and it's all going to be shown on the telly and so on and so forth, if you look at the scripts which the press officer gives out, Mm. he will mark those bits Mm. which will be in tonight's news mm. in advance mm. because that's where the soundbite is, which mm. is the bit they want. They need a quick 20-second, 30-second filler in which the guts of what the minister is saying will be cut down into this concentrated little epithet uh, and by the minister himself. He will actually say it in the speech. Mm. And so they can blast that quick and easy. And so everything becomes short, superficial, non-judgmental, non um it's not inquiring in any way. It's just there it is, let's take that. And of course they take it with pleasure because it's work yeah. they don't have to do. So I think the the involvement and corporate I'm, I, I know I'm always on about civil service, but actually corporate bodies if anything, mm. even more cynical about that than, mm. uh, than, than, than the government. Mm. So all around us we have people trying to change there's lots of books on this i mean there's a great mm. book on the bbc because the bbc the great paragon of you know nation speaking truth unto nation uh, mm. so they they think um they're, they're 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 vicious news manipulators in the way that they put the, the priorities they give things on their on their stations and so on and so forth and they all develop these Processes. Sometimes it's to defend the minister. Sometimes it's to promote a particular policy or a product or a person. In the case of the BBC, it's because they are promoting a certain worldview, which Mm. they think is the way life is, and that's the way they want to see um, see it presented. Yeah. Um, So all of that comes together as well, so that you, in the end, it's quite easy to get really pessimistic about this because you, you you end up with a you know, a population that seems not to be able to to um, recognise rubbish when they see it or hear it, mm. that is encouraged not to, but by you know various. No, it's not a deliberate thing, I don't think, but they 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 actually learn how not to be how to be accepting and not to be inquiring. Yeah, in the way that they think about things, surrounded by news givers who are you know corrupted in all sorts of different ways mm. uh, and you think well god this is this is never going to work um so um so here's, here's here's a um maybe a light of hope um and by the way that book i referred to um it's not called addicted it's called hooked and it's hooked. Uh, yeah it's about actually uh, it's by near eyal and it's how to build habit forming products well worth a read um 
Okay, so what we're saying, to some extent, what we're saying is that we have the decline in, in the art of critical thinking through the education systems. We have the demise of the media, media standards, which the politicians follow in how they communicate. Um, so we're down to sound bites. We're not down to long form reads. We're not down to healthy discussions. And um, that maybe, again, it's a generational thing because some of us have actually lived through better quality conversations, better media, and maybe education systems that encourage critical thinking. Um, but there is maybe a generation that hasn't accessed that level of education or that type of media. And by not having that type of media, had a different type of politician because politicians will use whatever the modern day, you know, attractive and, and popular media um channels are to get their message across so we had a great example was it john f kennedy understood television and um probably was the first american president to really understand television and yeah. use that um we see obama and 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 trump using whatever their preferred form of of social media what's interesting at the moment um as we look to the u.s presidential election next year and one candidate that I've I've tuned into on a couple of occasions is Robert Kennedy Jr. And mm. uh, I'm not advocating for him. I'm just uh, saying he's, he's he's an interesting man. But he, uh, you know, would be the son of Bobby Kennedy and mm. nephew of John F. Kennedy. Uh, he kind of launched his campaign. I'm not sure if that's a fair description, but he gave a classic Joe Rogan three-hour interview. And I think subsequently has been interviewed by some of the big podcast players and then has established his own podcast. So he's seen podcasts and in particular long form podcasts as the new media platform that he's going to try to leverage um, moving us beyond that social media soundbite and into healthy discussions that can take as long as they need to for us to be able to evaluate um, topics in, in, in a way that, that we can fully understand uh, what the consequences of us taking a position are and therefore mm. maybe, you know, lining up a position that uh, is in tune with our own beliefs and values. And I wonder whether um, that from a media point of view, what, it, what the nice thing about it is it, it disintermediates the organizations that, for commercial reasons are now desperately doing everything that they they have to uh, including all that editorial bias um to just stay alive just to make a profit um and politicians uh, are going to rely on them if politicians were to shift to a more direct communication to the electorate through through podcasts um maybe that's a light of hope for for how we might move on from this position because it's untenable. Yeah, it it is untenable. I mean, I think what annoys me actually is not so much that you can't say things because in officially there's there's no such thing as censorship in either of our countries. Mm. Um, you would find individual newspapers might go down the road of not allowing certain opinions to be put forward. The Guardian's one that certainly does it. Um, I suspect that some of the others do. Others make a great play about absolutely allowing uh, unpopular 
opinions uh, to be put in their columns. Um, so that's okay. I mean, the BBC doesn't formally censor things, although it has got pressures close to that with some of their climate change stuff because there's a certain range of uh, opinion that they actually don't allow to be to really to be said mm. um, on the BBC. Now, in most cases, that's coming from absolute head cases. Mm. So, okay, don't give head cases a, 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 a platform. Which is the problem, problem is who, who, who decides who's who, who decides head cases. Head cases exactly. Yeah. And in podcasts, I think generally they do appear to be pretty free of any sort of um, um, open censorship. I mean, certainly mm. Joe Rogan gets away with murder in some of the things he says, mm. and there's a number of we do here. This stuff I've said on these, even on these little podcasts that we do, mm. that would have got me to sack uh, if I'd still been employed. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't like you exposing things. They don't like you uh, letting the side down as they see it. You know, the, mm. the blob, the blob will be after you. Mm. Um, so. And certainly when I was in England, that was a very serious problem because I was writing some fairly uh, acrimonious stuff at <laughs> uh, various times, as you know. You and that was, um, there was a hospital, there was a medical magazine. Yeah, the Health Service Journal. And you used to write um, a wry look at life from the yeah. desk of the hospital administrator. What was yes, it? It, was, it was called Frontline. Frontline, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did a lot of them. Yeah, and that I was all it. anonymous, obviously, was it? Yeah, yeah. Although mm. eventually... My boss found out who it was, right? And uh, I had to stop. Uh, yeah. He was very good about it, actually, to be yeah. honest. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. another world. And I wrote other stuff for, but that's just like, that's. It. I suppose it is slightly different. Is if you're working within an organisation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I and I was very careful never ever to identify where I was working or yeah or, yeah. or what I was working on. But I mean, the, the nature of the beast is if you're going to comment on. Mm. what's happening now in the health service is bound to be influenced by what goes across my desk yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit difficult to draw the, yeah. anyway, generally most people are very good about it, but yeah, I, 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 I was persona non grata for a long time in the department of health after yeah. that. So maybe, maybe podcast might be a way of, of um, it, that shift in, in allowing media to be a bit more open, a bit more transparent, less censorship, yeah. And give us time to explore things. So if we talked about education, we talked about media and therefore the politicians following the media. And and maybe there's there's some kind of correction in 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 media through the expansion and, and greater use of podcasts. Let me ask you then, um, we probably need to wrap up. Um, but given all that we've said, given that what we said that there is a generation that has grown up with less critical thinking being encouraged in schools, not their fault. Um, media standards that have dropped dramatically, not their fault. Um, social media that leverages, again, this dark side of human beings that, for whatever reason, we're more interested in, in negative than positive, mm. um, not their fault. Politicians who behave in 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 a similar way to be able to leverage this awful media platforms that we've created and not their fault. Is it any surprise that we have, um, you know, this generation that uh, on occasion is going to angrily put forward a point of view that we 
we we just don't accept and and therefore we get we get angry because we feel that they're they're looking for more inclusion um but they're not being inclusive in in the way that they talk to us in other words can we can we understand a little bit why we might perceive this and why that that behavior might be well, I think yeah, I, I take issue with the not their fault bit. I mean, I think certainly for politicians and civil servants and for senior corporate people. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. no, just to be clear, when I'm saying not their fault, I'm saying yeah. not the fault of this gen, the younger generation. Oh, this is, no, that's true. No, 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 I agree with that. That's, yeah. that's what I meant by not their, yeah. not, not the fault of that generation. Yeah. Well, I think the only way you can address it is in the way we're trying to address it. I mean, you have to talk about things maybe the sorts of things we talk about um i do, I do partly mean you and me specifically because we talk about things that interest us yeah. maybe they don't they're not the sort of things that interest younger people and perhaps we ought to be talking about something different yeah and, and that's fair enough and maybe we're not qualified to to do that sort of thing we don't have enough experience of that sort of yeah. life that, that, that they, they may be leaving mm. um so there will there will be some topics but they can be presented by other young people or they can be presented by people who are perhaps better, more knowledgeable of them than we are. Um, but whatever, you need to encourage the maximum amount of comment. Mm. And how you get... The thing that frightens me about the current generation is the wild-eyed messianic certainty that you can get mm. about different things but it, it, you can see it very clearly in a lot of the uh, climate change stuff which is being talked about people wandering around in red dresses and chucking orange powder all over the place mm. you know like um like modern sacrificial lambs mm. um and you also see it in a lot of the sexual politics stuff very quickly, people personalise things, um, make it all about them, um, and which I suppose in many ways it, it always is going to be in that topic, but completely unprepared to accept something else. And I think, you know, if we are nothing else, we have been a mixed um, society, and I mean mixed in the widest possible sense. You know, we have people of different backgrounds, types, colours, nationalities, opinions, abilities, uh, everything. Mm. And the thing that's the one word which, if nothing else, probably is is sums up my approach to it is tolerance. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. Well, within reason, we'll say you know we don't, I don't want people openly promoting something that's dangerous or illegal yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah things like that and i don't want them openly promoting fascism i don't mind if they promote fascism uh in a sort of academic sense mm. not promote it perhaps but talk about it yeah don't mind that um because i've got plenty to say that we should shut them up um but yeah i think it's very very important that our default position should always be tolerance. It should always be to allow something to happen mm. unless there's a really, really bloody good reason that we can't. Mm. And, you know, so that's, um, that's where we should start from. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I do think um, um, 
it just there's a couple of things. Uh, I wonder sometimes is this discussion, and sometimes as we describe it, you know, with this generation, uh, I, I wonder is it is is there there less of the you know social justice warriors that that are are, are it's just that they're more vocal because of social media. Again, I don't do social media, but I I don't I don't come across many of them in in my life. So I wonder is it uh, a a very noisy minority, um, and that it would be unfair to tar all of that generation with that brush. Um, and then the other thing that comes into my head as well when we promote tolerance, are we are we sure that we're not being intolerant of that we ourselves are not being intolerant of, um those that we describe as social justice warriors, which is again, there's negative connotations about that, but we know, we know what we're talking about. Well, I think the intolerance, we're not intolerant in the sense that we wouldn't stop them saying it. Uh, We might argue with them about it. Yeah. And that gets you into the stuff where, Oh, should we not talk about this because they may become offended? I don't care if they become offended personally. No, I, I, well, yeah, we should have brought that up a little bit earlier. Maybe that, that is something as well. It's, you know, you just cannot go through life. Nobody's going to go through life without being offended. And in fact, um, it's good for you if you know. Absolutely. (laughs) It is. Absolutely. Um, one other point then before, uh, we, we close out on all of this. Um, do you think, do you think it's going to get worse? Can it get worse? Or well, I, I sometimes I wake up in the night with a cold fear creeping over me that I'm actually going to end my days in the gulag. Now that's a slightly extreme position, but I do feel in my heart that in England, some of the stuff which the police were starting to get into, they did become the thought police. Mm. I think they've they've pulled them back now from that and sort of there's new laws coming along to make it clear that you can't, it's not a crime to think something or say something. Mm. Um, but, you know, they, interv- they, they invented this new thing of a non-crime report mm. or incident. Mm. So you could say something that perhaps was a bit... Uh, um, didn't have much support and, and some people might find unpleasant. They didn't like it. Mm. Um, and they'd come along, the police would come and knock on your door. Mm. This really happens in England. But come it is, and knock it, on your door and, and, and say you, you realise you're going to be reported for a non-crime hate incident. Well, what a, I don't know what the bloody hell that means anyway. Yeah. But they'd invented this thing. So mm. your name is now in the more of the state information system somehow. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean you're not being prosecuted. No, 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 no. Are you going to go on the register? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's a very, very dangerous development. And that sort of thing frightens the doubt of the life out of me. Mm. Because I think that really is the edge of fascism we're getting into there, which is where a lot of this stuff leads. I don't I have to say I genuinely don't have that fear. That's something I, and maybe I'm being naive not to, to, to think about it. Um, or maybe it's a peculiarly, peculiarly English experience, or in England rather than than here. Possibly, possibly. I think uh, it's true in America as well. Yeah, and I often wonder as well: are are some of the incidents, and I'm not to that's not to justify any incident of anybody being charged with a criminal act because somebody else is offended, or um, 
but I often wonder, are they somewhat exaggerated again through social media? Because <clears throat> there is a certain, you know, political ideology that wants to point at these things and blow them up out of proportion. Um, uh, and I, you I know, think, I think that yeah, happens on, on all sides. Let's no, I mean, I think that's, that is a fair comment, and, yeah. I, and, and I think it's fair enough. But I think you can see there are people in Parliament, MPs, who hold beliefs which I find absolutely reprehensible in terms of we must ban this, we must stop people saying this, mm. this this sort of talk is not acceptable and will not be allowed. There's a number of MPs on both sides of the spectrum, mm. all sides of the spectrum, um, who are saying those sort of things. Mm. You know, the way you can see prominent academics get hounded out of their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. I mean, yeah, these yeah. things do happen. They don't yeah, always yeah. happen in a sort of legalistic framework. Yeah. In fact, frequently they don't at all happen in a legalistic framework. And yeah. at the moment, thank God, the law is still the bulwark of freedom yeah. in yeah. Um, in Britain. But yeah. uh, there's a lot of nasty tendencies going on. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, um, yeah, again, really good conversation. Hopefully... Um, Anybody that listens to us, and thank you to anybody who does listen to this. Um, Make sure you tell your friends. Tell your friends, and please feel free to get in touch or post any comments. And um, it's unlikely that we'll be offended by anything that you say. Um, and even if we are, we'll still say it. <laughs> um, but there's something. There's, there is something maybe to be continued about this as well. That yeah, we can watch this space because. Um, it's, I don't know, I get this sense something has to give. It has to go one way or the other. And um, that this current status quo of this inability to be able to talk honestly with each other is just totally unhealthy. And um, that something needs to give on this one. I have to say as well, and this probably will get me into trouble. So you mentioned a couple of in, you know MPs in the UK that mm. on both sides that may say or hold reprehensible views and I have to say in my head, I go, do they? Do they really? Do they really believe that? Or are they just saying that because they know that's going to appeal to a constituency and oh, that this is purely for, for cynical vote, vote getting? Politicians are notoriously mm. chameleon-like in their policies. Mm. So, you know, mm. yeah, that's quite possible. Yeah. Anyway, as always, good conversation um, to be continued. And um, mind yourself, have a good week. By the way, are yeah. you planning anything... Special for your significant birthday in in. Um, I'm having we're having um a very very close family dinner, right? Um, but that's about it actually. Okay, and um, send me a card, I can. Yeah, yeah, I'll buy you a book. There's a book I have in mind. I'll buy me a book, yeah. Um, and twenty third of September is the actual date. Twenty third of September. Okay. So I'll I'll read out my personal home address soon, and you can all send me cards. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll talk about that near the time as well yeah. you might give us some views on what it's like being 70 and then one last thing to part on and um, my takeaway from this weekend's football was that i'd say the most well it's just fair to say yeah the happiest supporters premier of the premier league teams must be tottenham supporters at the moment well it's been a bloody long time coming mm, i mean mm. actually of course our listeners can't see me because i'm not in video but i'm wearing my, my tottenham t-shirt uh, at the moment, yeah, it's they've they've done. Um, there, there's certainly some very 
hopeful signs. And yeah. I mean, I saw them when I, I saw them play um, Manchester United. And uh, if I was a Manchester United fan, I'd be worried. Yeah, but I, I agree with that. But I do think I watched the game as well. I do think um, I do think that there's the post Harry Kane that Harry Kane cloud that might have been hanging over the club. You know, it, it just seems to have, with it gone. And no disrespect to Harry Kane, great player, great servant to the club. But yes, yeah. um, the young lads that have come into that team, the way they're playing football, and uh, you know, they're they're very attractive to watch. That manager has something with them as well. We need, we need we need an out and out striker still though. Yeah, Richardson's probably not gonna do it for you. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna hack it. I don't no. think we can play him in the way that he's best played, to be honest. Mm. Because I think what he would be best at is what Son used to do, and Son's still there to do it. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I think no Son needs needs um we turn this into a Spurs. He needs he needs uh, a hurricane podcast, but he yeah. needs a hurricane in the middle, yeah. yeah. Um Okay, well, look, we 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 watched that. That's that's another story that's to be continued. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, mind yourself. Okay, dear boy. Talk All the you. best. Take See care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with us, then go to our main homepage on Spotify and press the notification bell or the follow button. Then, up to date, you will be kept. This podcast is a production by Artificial Hipsters. (laughs) 